Good morning, everyone, and happy Monday to you. It is a new month, a new day, a new week, and a new episode of Roadmap to Heaven. I think I had that out of order, but that's all right. We got everything in there, just maybe not in the correct order. I'm Adam Wright. You are listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network this morning. Let's begin our morning together in prayer. We pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it is very good to be with you on this Monday morning. And, you know, I have to share with you, I, I had a very active night of dreams, just off-the-wall dreams last night. That, and each one had nothing to do with the others but there was one i mean i woke up and i I, this vivid vivid memory of this dream in my mind that i was just adamant that we would talk about emulsions today now for those of you that don't know what an emulsion is um you're not alone number one it's uh it's kind of a I guess a, not a nerdy cooking term, but it's it, it, it's a, an advanced technique. We all enjoy emulsions, right? There are several things we, we consume that are emulsions. But in general, you have two things that don't go together, like oil and vinegar, right? They'll separate. You put them – anyone who's made their own salad dressing before knows, or if you buy the oil and vinegar dressing at the uh, the grocery store, you know you have to shake it up. You have to mix it up. Because why? Well, the oil and the vinegar will separate. And there are some other things we enjoy, and I'm trying to think of some good examples right now, um, and of course I can't, right, that are emulsions. And to make an emulsion, you take these two things that normally wouldn't go together, and you have to blend them in a very specific way so that you don't break the emulsion, that, it's, that it stays, right? And then you get something really wonderful, something very delicious, um, you know. And uh, let's see. Well, if you, to make mayonnaise, that's – if you take egg yolk, butter, and mayonnaise to make an emulsion, you know, that, that's one example for you. So anyway um, – I was adamant that we were going to talk about this this morning because I I had some grand point in this dream that sometimes in the spiritual life we have to take things that seemingly don't go together, but we put them together. Why? Because when you put them together, when you you get that right emulsion, you know, that right mix, wonderful things happen. And uh, I, I don't know why. I don't know what prompted that dream. Um, I don't have any good examples for you of spiritual emulsions. <laughs> However, uh, I, I thought, okay, well, there you go. But mayonnaise is an emulsion you've probably enjoyed. Vinaigrette dressing, butter, margarine, uh, cold cream, these are all emulsions that we enjoy in life. So there you have it. Uh, also, in the, uh, the course of the weekend, I want to give a shout-out to some friends who pushed me to run another 5K. I shouldn't say run, you know. 
uh, Priest Trend wrote, Adam, congratulations on running another 5K. So we shouldn't say run. I don't run a 5K. I still walk a 5K. Uh, I said if I if I ran at my weight and uh, awkwardness, we might risk fault line activity on the New Madrid Fault, and, and no one wants that. So I, I walked a 5K, but I still had my uh, personal best time, so each one I'm getting better. And soon, hopefully I'll get to the point where I am running. I'm very excited about what we've got coming up on the show today. Today on the show, we're going to be talking with Doug Berry again about the Ten Commandments, and we move into the second half, the Sixth Commandment. We're also going to be talking with John Martinoni about confession today. You know, what's the scriptural basis for the sacrament of confession, and why do we need to go? Um, And we're going to hear from across the Atlantic Ocean, we're going to hear from Father Christopher Seiler. He's a priest of the Archdiocese of St. Louis who has an assignment— well, I'll let, I'll let him tell you about his assignment. It's it's not one you'd expect for uh, the priest that you know, and yet it is one that he has been tasked with, and it's pretty fascinating. So we're going to hear from him uh, later this morning as well. Plus, we'll have the catechism today and all of that. Today is also the 13th wedding anniversary for Beth and I, and I am very grateful to her for 13 years of marriage, and we were reflecting on that this week, that we're old people now. Not Not really. We're not old. Um, but we feel like it. We left a concert early because it was too loud last week. True story. So I guess that makes us older, right? Um, and we're to that point that some nights – do you remember the old uh, TV shows like I Love Lucy? I mean the really old – well, by my comparison, my standards, really old, where for reasons of standards in broadcasting at the time, they would never have the married couple sleep in the same bed. They would have two twin beds in the master bedroom with like a nightstand in between, and, and we always thought that was peculiar, but now we're to that point in our sleeping habits where either I roll over or she kicks me or so, all while we're asleep. We don't know we're doing it. We wake the other one up. We're at that point in marriage where that, that idea of two twin beds separated by a nightstand makes a little bit of sense. We might both sleep a little better, but you know, uh, just as much in love, if not more so in love with one another as we were on that day 13 years ago. And I can still see her beaming smile. So, uh, Beth, if you're listening to the podcast today, because I know you're at work, happy anniversary. I love you. While Mike is off today from doing the weather, he did send us a saint of the day because we knew what the saint was going to be today. So we're going to go now to Mike Roberts for today's saint of the day. Today is the feast day of St. Alphonsus Liguori, doctor of the church and founder of the Redemptorists. Born in Naples in 1696, Alphonsus was the oldest of eight children born to Giuseppe and Anna Liguori. His father was a naval officer, but asthma and poor eyesight kept Alphonsus out of the military. Instead, he became a lawyer, and though he was very good, he was never very happy and worried his career would leave him empty. At the age of 27, Alphonsus experienced something he had not known to that point— He lost a case. At the same time, he'd been hearing an interior voice from the Lord saying, Leave the world behind and give yourself to me. In 1723, after overcoming some resistance from his father, Alphonsus began his journey to become a priest and was ordained three years later. Immediately, he went to work among the poor and homeless. In 1731, there was an earthquake, and while helping victims of the quake, Alphonsus had a vision of the Blessed Mother when she was about 13 years old and wearing a white veil. A colleague, Sister Mary Celeste Costa Rosa helped Alphonsus discern that he'd been called to start a new community. So Alphonsus founded the Congregation of the Holy Redeemer, 
the Redemptorists. Their mission was to reach out to the poor in both the cities and the countryside. After refusing a position as Bishop of Palermo, Alphonsus was ordered to become Bishop of St. Agatha, and there he revitalized a demoralized diocese. Alphonsus taught and wrote extensively and even composed music. He also had numerous visions and prophecies. He died on this day in 1787. St. Alphonsus Liguori, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. Our catechist question is a good reminder for us because it's a Marian catechist question that today being August 1st and a Monday means that this Friday, August 5th, is the first Friday of the month. And then on Saturday, August 6th, we have the first Saturday of the month and we have to attend to our first Friday and first Saturday devotions. But here is our catechist question for you today. Liturgically, liturgically, Friday, August 5th, is the optional memorial of the dedication of the Basilica of St. Mary Major. The optional memorial of the dedication of the Basilica of St. Mary Major. But prior to being known as that day, the feast day was also the same as a national shrine to Our Lady within our listening area. What is the name of that national shrine? Friday, liturgically, is the optional memorial of the dedication of the Basilica of St. Mary Major, but it is also, uh, before it was named that, it was a title of Our Lady that a national shrine in our listening area is devoted to. What is the name of that shrine? I'll tell you that shrine is the National Shrine of Our Lady of the Snows in Belleville, Illinois. Now, devotion uh, to Mary under the title of Our Lady of the Snows, and I'm taking this right from the the shrine's website, snows.org. Devotion to Mary under the title of Our Lady of the Snows is one of the oldest devotions to Mary. It has direct ties to the story of a marvelous snowfall in Rome in 352 A.D. Mary had indicated in a dream to wealthy a wealthy childless Roman couple that she wanted a church to be built in her honor and the site for this church would be covered with snow. On a hot, sultry morning on August 5th, the Esquiline Hill was covered with snow. All Rome proclaimed the summer snows a miracle and a church to honor Mary was built on the hill in 358 A.D. Restored and refurbished many times, this church, now the magnificent Basilica of St. Mary Major, still stands today as the seat of devotion to Our Lady of the Snows in the Catholic Church. However, Our Lady of the Snows is honored here in the Shrine in Belleville, not so much because of the story of that miracle, but because uh, her very role in the church is missionary by its nature. And the missionary oblates of Mary Immaculate, the congregation of priests and brothers who operate the shrine, following the inspiration of their founder, St. Eugene de Mazenod, have always called on Mary as their principal patroness, one who looks upon their missionary efforts with a mother's love. Fun fact for you here, if it weren't for their devotion to Mary under the title of Our Lady of the Snows and the novena that they had for her every year at the uh, seminary they ran in Belleville, St. Henry's Seminary, um, the, the novena, the crowd gathered so large, became so large that they had to find a new place. And that's actually how the shrine 
came to be between uh, Father Guild and Father Schulte, and there's there's a long story there, and uh, it's a fascinating one. So if you make a visit over there, it's a beautiful place to visit, to walk around. Um, it's not just for Christmas lights. It's really a, a great prayerful place to visit and walk around. And if you go to the main shrine, they have these rosary courts uh, for the sorrowful, glorious, and joyful mysteries with mosaics, by I believe by the same mosaic company that did the Cathedral Basilica in St. Louis. It's a beautiful place to pray. So there is your catechist question for today. We're going to take a break. When we come back from that break, we'll uh, speak with John Martinoni about the biblical basis for confession. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. We are back. You are listening to Roadmap to Heaven. It's Monday, which means we're going to be talking with John Martinoni, president and founder of the Bible Christian Society. And John, normally when you and I talk, we are talking about you know misconceptions or fallacies in interpretation of Scripture from our Protestant brothers and sisters. But today, I think we're going to have to lump some Catholics in as well who would say, Adam, John, I don't need to go to a priest to confess my sins. I can just go straight to God and pray to God. You know, Jesus never said I had to go to a priest. That's just some pope in Rome who made that up. And I'm just gonna I'm just gonna pray to God and He'll forgive me. So, John, I, first off, good morning. Great to have you with us as always. But second, where do we find the sacrament of reconciliation in the Scripture? Because I know it's there. Well, Adam, it's a pleasure to be with you and your listeners, as always, regarding reconciliation. What I like to do, generally, when I'm talking about uh, scriptural support for Catholic teaching, I like to start in the Old Testament and then bring it forward. And in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 5, what do we see? We we see there's, you know, they, they give this whole list of sins, and then in verses 5 and 6, It says, when a man is guilty in any of these, he shall confess the sin he has committed, and he shall bring his guilt offering to the Lord for the sin which he has committed, a female from the flock, lamb or goat, for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for his sin. So what do we see in the Old Testament? How how was sin forgiven? Well, you you confessed your sin by going to a priest... And the priest made atonement for him, and then you had a guilt offering, which, you know, some might call penance. Now, people will often say, particularly Protestants, will say, well, that's the Old Testament. We don't have to do that anymore. But in Hebrews 10, verse 1, it tells us that the Old Testament is a shadow of the good things to come. Well, so forgiveness of the sin in the Old Testament involved confession of sin, a priest, and a guilt offering, or a penance. So if the good things to come, you know, forgiveness of sin in the New Testament, is, a, is you know, the Old Testament is a shadow of what we're going to have in the New Testament. Well, what is a shadow? It's an outline 
of the thing to come. It, it's not something that's completely unrelated or disconnected to the good thing to come. It's a shadow is an outline of the thing that it, you know, that's casting the shadow. So let's move to the New Testament now. How does God tell us to have our sins forgiven? Well, first of all, we see that in Matthew 9, verse 6, it tells us that this is the story of the paralytic, where some of his friends lower him down to Jesus through the roof of a house. And Jesus says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, take up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And then verse 8 of Matthew 9, when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. So focus on those two words, authority and men. What authority had God given? The authority on earth to forgive sins. Who did he give it to? To a man, Jesus Christ? No. To men, plural. So right there we see that God has given the authority on earth to forgive sins to men. And, just in case somebody might think, well, you know, that's, that's just in general men, because Jesus, you know, he was true man and true God. But then you go to John 20. First thing Jesus does... After his resurrection, when, when he first gets together with his apostles, what does he do? John 20, verses 21 to 23. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Jesus is giving his apostles the authority to forgive or retain sins, which means he must be expecting people to confess their sins to the apostles, because how else could they know to forgive this sin or, or retain this sin? Plus, Jesus says he's sending them out as the Father has sent him. Well, how did the Father send him? Well, we just saw in Matthew 9, verse 6, with the authority on earth to forgive sins. So if the apostles are being sent out by Jesus, as Jesus has been sent out by the Father, then they must have the authority on earth to forgive sins. So we see right here in John 20, Jesus instituting the sacrament of reconciliation, or some would say the sacrament of confession, as it's often called. There's no doubt here. I don't know how much clearer it can be then whosoever sins you forgive are forgiven, whosoever sins you retain are retained. It, it just, not a whole lot in Scripture is much plainer than that, Adam. Indeed, it's, it's not, John. And uh, I don't know about you, but even if it weren't clear to us from Scripture today, when our Lord gives us the sacraments, why would I take a chance and go outside of the sacraments when he's given us such an easy way to live a life of holiness and be in communion with him. So I want to thank you for giving us the scriptural foundation for this sacrament. And I would like to remind everyone listening, when you need to go make a good confession, don't hold back. Don't be prideful. Don't say it's between me and God. Go and make a good confession. You'll be glad you did. 
I guarantee you, you'll be glad you did. John Martinoni, I want to thank you for being with us today. Don't forget, you can check out more about the Bible Christian Society at BibleChristianSociety.com. We're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven. Stay tuned. A Prayer to Redeem Lost Time by St. Teresa of Avila. Oh my God, source of all mercy, I acknowledge your sovereign power. While recalling the wasted years that are past, I believe that you, Lord, can in an instant turn this loss to gain. Miserable as I am, yet I firmly believe that you can do all things. Please restore to me the time lost, giving me your grace, both now and in the future, that I may appear before you in wedding garments. Amen. It's a new week. We are in round two of the Ten Commandments. We're starting with the Sixth Commandment today, talking with Doug Barry. And before we went on air here, I said, Doug, this is going to be a fun one, because here's another commandment. A lot of people probably say, well, I've never violated that, and yet I am willing to bet that most of us, if we haven't crossed that line, we have come very close to it at one point or another. The Sixth Commandment, thou shall not commit adultery. Yeah, when it comes to this one, it works very well, paired very well with the Ninth Commandment, which we'll address in just a few days. But the Sixth Commandment really addresses purity, purity on a number of levels, adultery, premarital sex, sin. All right. Now, this is something, let's just start with that one, okay? Cheating on your marriage, of course, sexually violating your marriage with another individual, sin, masturbation, sin, birth control, sin, pornography, sin. These are just some of the top ones right there on the list. And a lot of people have fallen in one way or another, these things, and of course, encouraging it or, or, uh, you know, helping someone, you know, procure, you know, birth control, these types of things, we contribute to it, we become complicit in the problem, just giving into, well, we'll get into the impure thoughts and so forth later with another one. But again, sixth and ninth work so well together, because they both address the idea of purity, purity of behavior, purity of thought. But when it comes to the sixth commandment, we have to realize that God has created the human body as a temple of the Holy Spirit. This is in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 6, the temple of the Holy Spirit. You've been glorified and you've been purchased, I should say, and at what a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. The body needs to be treated with such a great respect and understanding that it is a treasure that God has given us. And we're to be making a gift of ourselves to others. Once we commit to that gift, such as in marriage, we need to stick to that, all right? But all the preparation leading up to it. Now, we entertain ourselves with things left and right these days. We see all kinds of scenes and movies and TV, and it's almost impossible not to see this anymore where someone's engaged in breaking the sixth commandment with regard to some sort of act of premarital sex, some sort of, you know, now we've got you know, homosexual behavior and so forth that's becoming so commonplace in depiction and TV and movies and such. This is becoming very, very difficult for people to even understand the clarity of this. The purity of the human body, the purity of the vow of marriage, the purity of taking care of the gift of creating life, therefore not falling into the things such as, again, as masturbation, pornography, birth control. These things are serious violations. And I would say this too, even NFP, I know NFP is acceptable in the eyes of the Catholic Church when the parameters are in place for that. And everybody needs to look that up, what I mean by that. There are like four main things, but NFP can be used with a contraceptive mentality. If we're just using it naturally, because yes, it's obviously healthier, but we still have the mentality that I'm not open to life, that can be a violation as well. So there's a number of different areas we've got to be looking at here. And I know in just a couple of minutes that we have, we can't get into great detail. And I know someone's driving down the road right now, listening to this thinking, oh no, oh no, I didn't know about this or that. What do I do? Take a deep breath, relax, 
Remember, there's three key things for something to be a mortal sin. One, it must be a grave matter, such as masturbation, pornography, birth control, premarital sex. These things are grave matter. Number two, you have to have full knowledge of it when you do it. And number three, you have to have full consent. So if you didn't have full knowledge of full consent, that removes that from being a mortal sin. However, now you know, thanks be to God, now it's time to make the changes and readjust what needs to be taken care of there. Get to confession, get things cleaned up. Obviously, you're going to want to look into the details more, study it, read the catechism. The catechism is pretty clear when it comes to detailing these things and laying this out. Incredibly helpful. But this is a sin, I should say, a commandment that a lot of people in the world today just don't even think much about. We become so comfortable, so casual, we're forgetting how much God wants us to treat the body, the conjugal act with such a degree of sacredness and holiness. You know, Doug, this is one that I think of what you're saying, how closely it ties with the ninth commandment. Mm -hmm. It really kind of shows how all of these commandments are tied together because how many people in culture say, hey, baby, it's okay as long as you and I love one another. Well, boom, you just broke the first commandment because you said God's law doesn't matter. It's I I know better than God, so Mm -hmm. we don't even need that first commandment. I'll be God in this situation. You just broke the fifth commandment because if you lead them into a state of grave sin, you're killing their soul. And then as you've talked about the relationship between sixth commandment and the ninth commandment it all ties together friends and that's why it's so important we don't get to pick and choose i'll follow one two three four but not five and six no that's not how it works so exactly stick with us this week we're going to get into the rest of the commandments until then doug barry it's been great to be with you today you too adam thank you prayer for the gift of prudence jesus artful master of parables your prudence eluded the hypocrites your actions were known before creation displaying all the wisdom of your prudence. Eternity must have attended to minutia. Being prudent in your best interest, you considered all potential consequences, securing the outcome of your earthly life. Grant me the prudence to always be cautious and sensitive to the basic needs of others. Jesus, you have shown great foresight. Prudence truly originates from your being. Amen. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. Our next guest has been on our airwaves before, but not in the manner that we are uh, having him with us today by Zoom. So it new things all the time. And that's Father Christopher Seiler. You might know Father Seiler. He was ordained a priest for the Archdiocese of St. Louis in 2013. Well, before we go any further, Father, I just want to say it's good to have you with us today. It's great to be here, Adam. As it were here, I don't know if here is exactly, you know. Well, you know, with you. that's an important note here, friends, because we're talking about roadmap to heaven, and sometimes the roadmap takes you to places you'd never expect. And the reason we say Father seiler has been with us before, but never like this, is Father, you're actually coming to us live from kind of the other side of the world. You're in Africa right now in Angola, correct? Exactly. I am indeed here in the capital of Luanda, beautiful okay. Luanda. So the next question, people are saying, well, wait a minute, what ordained for St. Louis? Why is Father there? So currently you're on a a special assignment that you've been released from your assignments here in St. Louis to go serve really the Universal Church, and you are the secretary to the Nunciature in Angola, and I want to remember the Sao Tome in Principe? Did I get that right? Exactly, yeah, pretty close. Principe, they say. Principe. Yeah, it looks like Principe. Exactly. Okay, so tell our listeners, what does that entail? What does a secretary to the nunciature do? Yeah, so I, this is my, I'm about to complete my first year in this new assignment. I 
had to do four more years of kind of seminary-like studies in Rome to be formed, to be trained, to work in the diplomatic service of the Holy See, of the Vatican, of the Holy Father. And the Pope is both the successor of St. Peter, the sort of point of union in the Catholic Church, of communion in the Church, but he's also a head of a state. He's also a absolute monarch in the Vatican City State, but that also means, in, in going back many, many centuries, that the Vatican has embassies all over the world, just like the United States has embassies in different countries. And so I'm working in the Vatican's embassies are called nunciatures, apostolic nunciatures. And so I'm here in Angola working in the apostolic nunciature. My boss is an archbishop, Archbishop Gaspari, who's an Italian, and he is the apostolic nuncio. So he's the Pope's ambassador, the Pope's representative to these countries where we serve. And the the work, you know, is to represent the Holy Father as the head of a of the Catholic Church of the of the Holy See in sort of a political manner to the government, sort of formally accredited, just like any other diplomats are to the government of these countries. But then also, and really the the original purpose and the more important work in many ways that we do is to represent and to be a concrete means of communion between the particular churches, the dioceses in Angola with the Holy See, with the church uh, universal, and to build up you know, those bonds of communion both between a particular church and the universal church. All right. Now, we apologize for some of the audio here. It's pretty much all coming through, Father. But again, you know, we're talking literally from separate continents right now. And that, <laughs> that brings me to our next point here. You know, we talk all the time on Roadmap to Heaven about how we have a beautiful faith. And the, the beauty of our faith is that it is so universal. And that if I go to Mass in Rome, you know, the Mass in Rome today is the same Mass as the Mass here in the United States, is the same Mass as you're celebrating in Africa, or if we went to Asia yeah. or Australia. It's yeah. really a wonderful thing. But you literally have lived this out. I mean, you grew up in St. Louis. You went to your undergraduate at the North American College in Rome. You did your theological studies at the Lateran in Rome, and then some more studies after you were ordained when you took this assignment in Rome, and now you're in Africa. And I think that's really at the heart of what we'd like to talk about today. What has your experience been as a Catholic who's now really been to more places than most of us can think of, not just to visit on vacation, but for the mission of proclaiming the kingdom of God and bringing our Catholic faith. Yeah, it is sometimes I, I'm like, how did I end up here? This is not what I imagined doing, but it is a beautiful experience as much as, you know, sometimes it can be a little bit uncomfortable when you move somewhere else, but there is the powerful reality of, as Catholics, that whenever we're at Mass, we're at home, that whenever we're with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, we're at home. And I've definitely experienced that, you know, just uh, yesterday, the other day, I was celebrating Mass in a parish here, and parts of the Mass were, and I, the language here is Portuguese, so I've learned Portuguese well enough, and so I can kind of get that, but the, the local people, they have many different dialects, local sort of original languages, and so often they'll, they'll sing the Gloria or the Holy Holy and Umbundu or Kimbundu or Kikongo. And I don't know what those languages are. I, you know, I can some recognize a few words, but, you know, but it's still, I know what they're singing, just like, because I know this is the Gloria, this is what we're doing now. And so it is beautiful that way of really experiencing that sense of comfort 
even when it's in a very different, you know, the church where I was, was pretty primitive, you know, it was sort of wooden beams and a tin roof and, uh, you know, somebody they, at the end of mass, they assigned, all right, you know, this family's in charge of bringing the altar home and then bringing it back here next week because there's no permanent, you know, real structure. And so being in a very much a remote reality, but still it was our Lord and the Eucharist. It was the same readings that were being, you know, read everywhere around the world at that same moment. And so it is really a, a great gift to be able to be Catholic and to be able to have that experience of the familiar, even in the midst of rather unfamiliar situation. Now, you just mentioned that at the end of Mass, someone has to take the altar with them and then be responsible yeah. for bringing it back for the next Mass because there is no place. Uh-huh. And I think of where you and I grew up, that there's pretty much, you know, when I met you, you were at St. Gabriel the Archangel in South St. Louis, where there's seemingly a, a Catholic church almost every quarter mile so yeah. there's no shortage of churches, no shortage of altars. It, it, culturally, it must be very different. What has that taught you? I mean, what has the witness of faith in Angola meant to you? I've come to see the the real sort of more proximate fruits of sort of first evangelization, because some places where I've gone and visited, it's really just maybe the first or second generation where the gospel has arrived in a sort of significant way in those places. And so I've been really moved by the, to see the young church in a way, not just a sense of young people, but whole, you know, culture that is experiencing the liberating truth of Jesus's gospel for the first time. I've come to a whole new appreciation of just the missionary dynamic of the church. And also in the archdiocese, we are going through the all things new process and there's something about the dynamism that I see here, even though they don't have a lot of these structures and a lot of these realities that we're super blessed to have and are a gift and to be treasured and to appreciate because they're the fruit of the generosity and the faith of so many generations. But that's not what defines the church. What defines the church is a love of our Lord, a love of the sacraments, and that making that available and making the gospel alive and proclaimed is what's most important. And I think that's what I see here is there is a lot of energy in the the faithful here. They don't have a lot of necessarily the means and the structures that we have, but, you know, again, like the, in this parish where I was the other day, they don't have meeting rooms. They don't have like a parish hall to go do donuts and coffee, but everybody is gathered and they kind of have small groups that meet the different, you know, the Legion of Mary and the Apostleship of Prayer and the they have, you know, a youth Eucharistic movement that they all just have their meetings there. So they all kind of bring their own chairs and they just sit around in a circle and they share their faith, you know. And so you make do with the means that you have. And I think the poverty also sort of takes away some of the the things that we can take. This is what the church is. And yet we realize that, no, even if we were to lose those things, the most important thing we have is that we have our faith. We have the gospel, we have the access to the sacraments and prayer, and that that's what drives us. And so to, while it's excellent and it's good, and we don't want to get rid of those things that have built up unnecessarily, it's also been a uh, reminder to me that, okay, we can do things differently. And, and sometimes being leaner can actually be, you know, make us more agile for, for the mission that we've been given. Well, that's beautiful, Father. Before I go to my last question here, I do have a little lightning round since we're, we're talking about your international assignment. The first question, yeah. what is something from home that you didn't think you would miss, but you do? 
The thing that I miss the most is actually Mexican food because I really love a little bit of good right there down in South City on Hampton. There's a lot of good Mexican restaurants. And that's the first thing when I have gotten home, I will often go and, and get some good Mexican food, which I can't get here. All right. What's something that you have experienced there that you have never experienced at home that you're grateful for? Well, again, maybe uh, sticking with the food dynamic. I don't know if I'm so much grateful for it, but I have uh, one of the local delicacies is fried caterpillars, which was definitely a uh, <laughs> an interesting and uh, a fun experience to try. I don't. I'm not. I'm not going back to that all the time, but it, it was it was good to try once. What has been the easiest thing to adapt to in a new culture? I think it has been the ability to pray to go to mass because I do think, as much as there can be different things, having that foundation and rock and, and the sacraments and the Eucharist is is the the root and the foundation of my day, and that has stayed constant no matter where I go. And other than knowing that they're in the Gloria, but you're not quite sure of what's being said, what's been one of the hardest things to adapt to in a new culture? I think it's some of the element is just trying to preach, actually, and realizing that, like, my jokes I tell or, you know, some of my examples, like, they don't really translate culturally. So it's like I can't necessarily talk about the same things like, okay, you've had this experience. Like, well, actually, no, none of these people have had that experience. And so I can't use that example. So it's been forcing me to be a little bit more creative, making me appreciate the simplicity of Jesus's teachings and the gospel, which are so universal that sticking with those has been a good foundation. Well, I want to leave you with this question. I, I think back to my childhood here in St. Louis, and how many times in church did we sing that song, Whom Shall I Send? Here I Am, Lord. Is it I? Send me. You know, and that comes straight from the Psalms. When you said yes to your vocation to the priesthood, I don't know that you ever imagined this is where it would take you. So what have you learned through that radical sacrifice, that humility to say, Lord, if you're calling me to go to Africa, then to Africa I will go. What have you learned about you and in your priestly vocation? I think every day is a new opportunity to say yes to the Lord and that we are never, while we still have breath in our in our lungs, we're never complete. And so sometimes they're big yeses, like, you know, when I've had to choose to enter seminary or choose to say yes, beginning this new mission. But what I realize is it's learning to say yes in the day by day that has been the foundation. And, you know, unfortunately, it's not perfect. <laughs> sometimes you need to ask forgiveness for, for being less generous all the time. But the Lord indeed is not outdone in generosity, and I, I'm happy because indeed the Lord is good. And when we're generous with Him, He doesn't leave us hanging out to dry, but He's always there to, to give us His graces and, and to help us to, to persevere and to move forward. Father, could I ask you to close our time together with a prayer? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Gracious Father, we thank you for the gift of our Catholic faith for the gift of a universal faith that is a faith that is proclaimed in every language around the world. And we pray for all missionaries, those who are in remote places bringing your gospel, and also for all of us who have all received a missionary call in our baptism, that we may proclaim by word and by deed that Jesus is Lord in every moment of our day. We ask this. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, through his Immaculate Mother, amen. Amen.
Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, Father Christopher Seiler, from all of us back here on, uh, as we said to the the guys in Spain who just finished the Camino pilgrimage, uh, from all of us here on this side of the pond, we wish you all the very best in your ministry in Angola. And, uh, you know, we're excited to hear where the Lord will take you after this assignment concludes. But, you know, let's get through this one first. And we want to thank you for being with us on Roadmap to Heaven today. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Adam. God bless you all. The Memorari to St. Joseph for the Sanctification of Families. Remember, O most chaste spouse of the Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who implored thy help and sought thy intercession was left unaided. Full of confidence in thy power, I fly unto thee and beg thy protection of families. Despise not, O guardian of the Redeemer, my humble prayer, but in thy bounty hear and answer me. Amen. Every week I am amazed with how many different topics we've been able to cover in the Daily Dose of Encouragement. And, well, I'm ready to be amazed again because, once again, here we are on Monday morning and Patty Schneier is with us and we have a new topic for the Daily Dose of Encouragement. Well, Adam, we're going to talk about unforgiveness this week, and I know that can be a difficult topic to discuss because all of us have maybe at some point in our life held a grudge or have decided that there's no way I'm ever going to forgive that person or we just put up these walls of defenses. So I want to unpack this a little bit this week. Today, for our first day of encouragement about this topic of unforgiveness, is I just want to share what I learned from listening to Catholic Radio and listening specifically to Father John Ricardo. I love Christ is the Answer. I love his insights. And I remember him saying that the biggest obstacle, the biggest obstacle in the spiritual life is unforgiveness. That hit me like a two by four because I, you know, at first I think, well, I have, I've forgiven everybody in my life, but no, there's a lot of times when I really look back and I see that there's some old wounds and that's what happens actually is we get hurt by someone. So we naturally put up a wall of defense so as not to be hurt again. It's a natural response, but these walls of unforgiveness, what they really do is they just rob us of our joy They rob us of relationship. They rob us of being our true self around this person, right? We're awkward. We try not to say anything. We want to avoid them. And that all takes energy. That takes a lot of energy and it's stressful. It causes us stress. So we expend energy thinking about the offense over and over and over again. Every time we see that person in our mind, we think about what they did and we just can't get past it. So it takes energy a lot to recognize when we have unforgiveness. But if there's anyone in your life where you've kind of made a resolution of, you know, I'm not going to do that ever again with that person, or I'm not going to call that person anymore, or I'm not going to go out of my way to say anything to that person. If you're avoiding someone, and again, I'm talking about something minor here, but a lot of times it's, it's just plain old unforgiveness. So today, as we start the week, let's take some time to just stop and maybe ask God to show you show you where you've put up a wall, show you where you have unforgiveness in your heart towards someone. It might be someone from your past. It could be someone that you see every day in your life. could be a neighbor, could be a family member. And then let's start praying about that all week. So as we unpack this topic, we're going to talk about unforgiveness, but we got to start with prayer, asking God to shine a light on where we need to see unforgiveness in our own life. I love the weeks where we can tell on Monday that it's going to be a difficult week because it's a heavy-hitting topic, because usually by Friday it's also been a very grace-filled and productive week because we're going to do hard work. So, Patty, I look forward to the rest of this week. 
Well, that's our show for today, and we want to thank you for being with us on Roadmap to Heaven. Tomorrow, we're going to talk with Father Jeffrey Kirby about confession as well. I know John Martinoni gave us the biblical case for confession and the roots of it and a biblical defense of that. But tomorrow, we're going to talk about confession and the grace that we receive. We'll also talk about the Seventh Commandment tomorrow with Doug Berry. And we've got a story for you about a dad who did something uh, out of the ordinary. I'd say extraordinary, you know. I would. I would say extraordinary out of love for his son and the great bonding that happened with them on that. Um, we're, we have lots of great stuff in store for you this week. We're going to be talking with uh, – we have a vocation spotlight for you. We're going to be talking about the Fellowship of Catholic University students later this week, all that and more. You know, I, I come back to the uh, the thing I started with today, the dreams, right? Now, I'm, I'm not Joseph. I don't have a multicolored coat. I don't interpret dreams. Uh, but I know this. Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night after having had a dream, and it seems like it was reality. But it wasn't. It was just a dream. And it's important for me to stay grounded. And there are even times over the past 13 years I've woken up in the middle of the night, and I've said to Beth, help me sort this out. Did this really happen, or was this just a dream? Sometimes our quote-unquote perceived reality is very different from actual reality, and it's important to be able to distinguish between the two. So that is why it is so important to pray that daily rosary, to pray that chaplet of divine mercy, to spend that time in prayer, mental prayer, uh, with the Lord, do that midday examine, the examination of conscience, to help us sort through what we think is reality and what God is actually calling us to. You know, I might think that I'm called to be a rock star. I've got news for you. That is not my calling. I am not called to be a rock star. Now, you might be called to be a rock star. I don't know, but I know I am not, as much as I want that to be my calling sometimes. So uh, pray every day, Lord, how are you calling to me to live my vocation today? And uh, Pray every day that you may see his way, his truth, because he is the truth. There's only one truth. You know, those who say there is no objective truth, well, then that that's a, a faulty premise in and of itself, because that would have to be at least one objectively true statement. There's one truth. There's one way. There's one life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So there you have it. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Don't forget that Friday is First Friday. We have to do our work of devotion to the Sacred Heart of our Lord, making uh, an act of reparation for sins against the Sacred Heart, going to Mass, receiving Holy Communion in a state of grace, which means you might need a plan now to get to confession. Saturday is First Saturday. Go to Mass, go to confession, receive Holy Communion, pray the Rosary, meditate for 15 minutes upon the Rosary. We'll talk more about that as the week goes on. Until then, for Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Pray your Rosary today.